And Heavenly Father, I'm asking you tonight, as everybody's agreeing with me, we're believing together for this word tonight. Lord, that you will anoint me fresh and speak through me your words of life under a strong anointing and in the glory of the Lord. And that your precious Holy Spirit will just brood over every person that's involved in this sermon, people that are hearing it tonight, people that will be hearing it in the future, whether it's on the internet or however they hear it. Lord, I ask you by your Holy Spirit just to help all of us to get locked in, to give you our best ear, our full attention, our focus. We're not going to be distracted mentally. Lord, we ask you that you give us good fertile soil of hearts and minds, even right now by your Holy Spirit, and give us eyes and ears of the Spirit. Help us, Lord, to be able to see what you're trying to show us and, and hear what you're speaking to us. And Lord, as you speak through me, that the word of the Lord will go out as living seeds of truth that's sown into good fertile soil of hearts and minds and lives watered by the Holy Spirit. Take root, grow, and produce a hundredfold harvest of eternal fruit that remains until Jesus comes. And Lord, just really do a mighty work. Let there be a washing of the water word. Let there be a light shining, dispelling all the darkness, the lies, the deception of the enemy, and bring truth and revelation. Let it come tonight. We thank you. Lord, let everything be accomplished in and through this, this time in the word that you will to be done as the winds of your spirit are going to carry this everywhere it's supposed to go. And your holy angels watch over the word. Lord, we agree together and we bind the enemy that would try to hinder or steal the word of the Lord. We bind him now in Jesus' name and come in to back off. And we thank you, Lord, for your freedom and that the word of God will go forward and accomplish that which you sent it forth to do. And it will not return void, but it will really go forth, Lord. We thank you for it. We believe and we expect it among the nations tonight. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen. All right. <clears throat> so bear with me. I'm not going to be able to do a lot of shouting tonight, but my voice is, I'm going to try to take it easy. All right. So I'm dealing with part 18 of the Meekdash series, and I'm going to be talking about the beauty of holiness. The reason why God laid on my heart to do this series in the beginning, because the, the word mikdash means sanctuary. And I'm concerned because I'm seeing a generation come up, and I'm not necessarily talking about younger people per se. I'm talking about a, a generation of Christians that are coming up that I'm concerned because I don't see the reverence a holy fear of God, a reverence of God, and a reverence of his sanctuary, his presence to be considered a holy place. And what has concerned me is, is that even terminology is changing. It's about, it's become in many places more about what people want rather than what the Lord wants. It's become more about what the people want to hear rather than what God is actually saying. It's become more about the decor than the presence of God. It's become more about entertainment a lot of places than it is about true heart worship. And it's very concerning, even the terminology of, of instead of calling it a sanctuary, it's called an auditorium. But you guys know as well as I do, an auditorium is where entertainment takes place. 
a sanctuary is where worship takes place. And so even the little nuances like that, they speak a lot because there's something behind it. And I've talked a lot about this. I'm, uh, you know, we're seeing a generation emerge that doesn't necessarily have that holy reverential fear of God that we need. And, um, and this is where this series is really coming from. I talked about a lot about the difference between the word holy and the word righteous. Holy means set apart. I dealt with the anointing and the glory, what they are. I've covered a lot of territory. But tonight, I want to close this out, just like an end cap, if you will, in the, this series, and, and deal with the beauty of holiness. And Psalms 96, verse 9 says, Worship the Lord and the beauty of holiness. Fear before him all the earth. And I've tried to do my best to emphasize the reason why the concept of the Hebrew roots is important is because it's so grounded in the holiness of God and a, a holy reverential fear of God and out of that Christianity comes forth and fulfills all of that because we're able to have a relationship through Christ but we have a foundation that has to do with holiness and a fear of God does this make sense tonight and so 2 Corinthians 6.14 says, Do not be bound together with unbelievers for what partnership or fellowship have righteousness and lawlessness or what fellowship has light and darkness? What harmony is there between Christ and Belial? Or what has a believer in common with an unbeliever? What agreement has the temple of God with idols? For we are the temple of the living God. Just as God said, I will dwell in them and walk among them. I will be their God and they shall be my people. Therefore, come out from their midst and be separate, says the Lord. So coming out and being separate has to do with the holiness of the Lord. Being separate, being set apart. He says, do not touch what is unclean. And I will welcome you. I will be a father to you. And you will be my sons and daughters, says the Lord. I hope that through this series, I've been able to cover a lot of this. But God is so holy. He's so holy and pure. And God cannot have any compromise with sin. After have to understand that when, even when it came to the plan of redemption... The Bible was not written for the purpose of trying to prove scientifically that God created everything. That's part of the reason why there's disputes sometimes. But that's not the purpose of the Bible at all. The reason God gave us the Bible is to show man's fall in God's redemptive plan. That's the whole reason for the Bible. It begins with the fall of man in Genesis and it ends in Revelation with God making all things new. God's redemptive plan. But God didn't really have... Let me give you the options. 
God could compromise and tolerate sin. But then we would be stuck with sin for all of eternity. You hear what I'm saying? Or God could have just wiped all of us out, erased creation completely, and started over. Or the third option that God chose was to give us a redeemer and they give us a choice but it's a redemptive plan and all down through the centuries we see that God has always had a remnant he's always had a group of people in the earth that knew him and walked with him they learned his ways and I love what Paul wrote in the book of Ephesians is he, he talked to a church that was birthed in the fires of revival in Acts chapter 19. It's a powerful church. And when he talked to them, and you read it in his letter to them, the letter we called, you know, the book of Ephesians, he told them because he knew that predominantly they were going to be Gentiles, and he told them, he said, learn what pleases the Lord. There's a lot to that statement. The Apostle Paul was a rabbi. He had studied deeply, deeply studied the Word of God probably his whole life. And he was trying to tell them, learn the ways of God. Learn the difference between the holy and the profane. Learn the difference between spiritual light and spiritual darkness. Learn the difference between what is um, the ways of God, how to approach God, what uh, a temple, what a, a sanctuary needs to be. Learn the difference between that and like a pagan idolatrous temple. There's this huge difference. And he's telling them, you've known a certain way, but you've got to turn away from all that now, and you've got to learn the ways of God. What are his ways? What pleases him? This is, this is a subject that really means a lot to me because it has to do with the glory of the Lord. You cannot have the manifest glory without understanding the ways of God, what pleases Him. Because He's not going to habitually dwell in a place that's not right with Him. And what is concerning me, and I say this with love because I don't have anything against anybody, and in my mind I'm not even thinking about anybody specific when I say these things. But it just concerns me in a very broad sense that much of the body of Christ now is not being taught the holiness of God. And they're not being taught the beauty of holiness. And they're not being taught um, about reverencing the sanctuary, reverencing the presence. You have a group of people that come into a holy sanctuary where God is and you can tell they're real flippant about it. It's not a big deal. They're just on their phone. They're talking about things maybe they shouldn't even be talking about, especially in the presence of God. But they're just, it doesn't matter. But then you'll see an older generation that's been around the holiness of the Lord and they'll come into a place like this and, they'll, and you can tell there's an, a reverential attitude. I remember, not that maybe about a month ago, we had a visitor, an older man that's been saved for many years, 
And you could tell such a difference because even while we were just practicing, you know, he was over there with his eyes closed just worshiping the Lord. He was, he was reverent. As you can feel the presence of God in this place, and he was reverencing God, reverencing God's house. But somewhere along the lines of trying to be big, giant air quotes, relevant or whatever people are going for, all of that has been kind of thrown out the window. Just keep everybody whipped up and excited and positive and, and entertained. I'll tell you something. If the only way people will receive the word of God is if you'll wrap it up in a package that is so entertaining in all this, there's something off. I question if you're really dealing with Christians because true Christians that are born of the Spirit of God, there's something in them that is hungry for the Lord. They love Him. They don't have to have everything packaged, prepackaged a certain way. They just want the Lord. They just love Him. They just want His presence. They want His Word. They're hungry for Him. But God is so holy, he can have no compromise with sin. He has to keep everything the way that it's supposed to be. He's got to keep everything where holiness set apart, the ways of God. He has to be that way. He cannot compromise. Is this making sense? And so for us to learn the ways of God, what pleases the Lord, we've got to embrace the fact that God is a holy God, and we need to learn humble ourselves and learn what pleases him and what displeases him. So where God dwells is going to be, have to be holy. And God's looking for a people that are holy. I'm not talking about legalism. People can get too focused on just rules and do's and don'ts. I'm not talking about that. That has its place. I'm talking about a reverence tonight. You see where I'm coming from? That there's a holy fear of God and a reverence and a desire to please him. When people really love the Lord and they have a heart to please him, it will show up. All right, so, or it will show in the way that they live is what I mean by that. Let me just kind of go off just for a moment on a certain subject and then come back to this. But I want to just briefly talk about being tested with success. We're about to see some major breakthroughs. And there's about to be an effectual door open. And when this happens, things are going to start happening very quickly. And we're going to start seeing a lot of things that um, has been kind of in a waiting period. And I want you to understand that we've got to be very careful. Because some people will do really well until they get the breakthrough. And then once they get the breakthrough, it seems like a subtle pride starts coming in. And as we say here in the South, they start getting just a little too big for their britches. <laughs> well, 1 Samuel 15, 17. Samuel was rebu rebuking Saul because Saul had become what he became. I mean, the guy started good but Saul really became a rebellious little heathen that was just going to do things his own way but first Samuel 15 17 says this although Samuel said to Saul although you were once small in your own eyes 
did you not become the head of the tribes of Israel? The Lord anointed you king over Israel. But that's the rebuke, was that you used to be small in your own eyes. But now there's pride, you see. So Saul was no longer small in his own eyes. David, remember, David sinned. Solomon, David sinned at the height of everything. When things were seeming, you know, to be going very well. Solomon had everything. All the, the wealth you can imagine, everything. But he backslid. Hezekiah was lifted up with pride. He began to show um, others all the treasures. He got lifted up with pride. Uzziah was filled with pride. What happens many times is, is that people... They start real humble and they start real pure but once they get successful and they get their breakthrough pride starts slipping in they get tested with that success and sometimes the greatest battles will be on the other side of a great victory like you remember Elijah what a great victory on Mount Carmel I mean the fire came down in front of all those people and consumed the offering people fell on their faces and repented it was a major revival and then he slaughtered all the prophets of Baal but then it wasn't long after that till he's under a tree wanting to die great highs sometimes will be followed by great lows we have to be careful when we get a breakthrough and things start going what we've been praying for them to you know to happen things start opening up and moving that we remain very humble. Jesus and Paul died in the eyes of the world. The world would have viewed Jesus and Paul as being failures. Do you understand that? Does everybody understand what I'm saying? What I'm saying is 100% right on. The world would view what Jesus did as just being a failure. He started out having great crowds but he ends up alone, naked on a cross, dying. That seems like failure to the world, but yet it was great victory. Paul also ended up being imprisoned in Rome, and he ended up dying, but at the end of Paul's life, it would have been viewed by the world as not being successful. Hear what I'm saying. The way God views success and the way the world views success are totally different. How do we judge success? Are we living for the judgment seat of Christ or are we living for the praises of men? Right now, one of the ways that you can safeguard your heart from pride is by really examining the motives. Do you need the praise of men? Do you need a pat on the back? Do you have to have somebody always telling you you're doing a good job? The truth is, all of us need to get to the place to where we don't need any of that. All we need to know is that we have his approval and that we're being faithful to him and that's really all that matters at the end of the day. Because a lot of times people fall into this trap where they need approval of men. They don't realize it, but they do. They want people to like them. They want people to pat them on the back, tell them they're doing a good job. And they need that. 
But the problem is, is that the same people sometimes that will do that later on can turn against you and betray you too. The same people that can encourage you can tear you down. But if you get to a place where you don't need man's approval or you, you don't care about their disapproval either, all you really care about is, if, am I being obedient and faithful to the Lord? All I need is his approval, not from a prideful way, not arrogant, not rebellious. I mean, a real sincerity about that. Then nobody's going to be able to control you. And the devil's not going to be able to take you down with pride. Because you're not living for the praises of men. You're just living for the Lord's pleasure. And that's it. We have to get to the place of being utterly dependent on the Lord. There's been a few times that God spoke really clear to me about my destiny. And one time he told me that I would have to learn from Catherine Kuhlman. And so I began to study her life, and I, I, kinda, I finally figured out what he was trying to tell me. Because, I mean, we're very different in many ways. But one of the things that Catherine, that really stuck out to me, and I believe this is what the Lord was saying to me, was this. Catherine did not have a plan B. Catherine did not have a mindset, well, we're going to have a service, and if God doesn't show up, here's what we're going to do. Do you all know where I'm coming from? Catherine came in and was like, if you don't show up tonight, we might as well all go home. I mean, her attitude was either God's going to show up and this is going to be an awesome meeting, or he's not going to show up and we can all just go home. We're not going to put on a religious ceremony for you. We're not going to entertain you. Y'all know what I'm talking about? I don't know if you guys ever watched her meetings at all, but she, all she had was the Lord. I mean, all she had was the Holy Spirit showing up. That's it. She did not have any other crutch to lean on. And there were times in her meetings when the, she was so cautious about not wanting to grieve the Holy Spirit and wanting to make sure that she was in tune with him. And, and I believe that's what the Lord was saying to me. We've got to learn to really have a dependence on the Lord. Because really it's a subtle form of pride and arrogance when we think, well, you know, if God doesn't move, I got this. Really? But I think that people, by and large, learn how to do their religious thing. But if we're going to have a real move of God, for real, and we're going to see Book of Acts Christianity, it's going to have to be the Lord that does it and not man doing it. We just got to just simply work with him. So be careful that you don't need the praises of men. Paul said... I cannot be a bondservant of Christ if I'm living to please men. And you're, got, you're going to have to be ready for the stigma that comes with revival. You're going to have to make up your mind that the souls being saved, the people's lives are being transformed, is worth any and all persecution that goes with revival. Because there's, I'm telling you, every move of God, there's a tremendous amount of persecution. There's usually a lot of things that are said, a lot of things that are said that aren't true. 
but you're just going to have to be okay with that because at the end of the day it's worth it having him come and move like that it is to me all right so let me come back to the holiness of the lord let me say one more thing though about what i was talking about god had to really put me through a lot of things and you remember the story of the the potter you know he would have to break the pottery start over God does that in all of us because he's looking for a broken vessel that he can work with you know he, he wants to get people where he can break them down enough to where he can build them back up the way he wants them built up and you have to go through that you have to go through stuff but he's allowed me over the years to go through enough to where um, not in a prideful way I don't know how to explain this but at the end of the day once you minister it doesn't really matter if people hated that and it doesn't matter if they liked it either either way it doesn't really matter all that matters is is that you were obedient to what he said do we have to get to that place I really believe God has been preparing me with that because you go through enough you go through enough with people to realize that people come and go they're up and down they're for you against you whatever but the stability is your relationship with him and that you're just simply going to get to know him and and please him and live for him and do jesus said i do what i see my father doing i speak what i hear him speaking it's just being obedient being faithful at the end of the day all right so let's get back to the holiness of god is the completeness of who he is proverbs 9 10 says the fear of the lord is the beginning of wisdom and the knowledge of the holy is understanding and the word holy there in hebrew is kadosh so it is holy it's not the holy one as some translations put it it is knowledge of what is holy and so in the new testament it's expected that we already have a foundation in our lives of a healthy reverential fear of god that's the beginning of wisdom and the knowledge of the holy what is holy and what's not holy Isaiah 55 verse 8 my thoughts are not your thoughts how many times have we thought <laughs> maybe we got bent out of shape about something and we thought well we're mad so God's mad <laughs> no not always you know the thing is his thoughts are not necessarily our thoughts his ways are not our ways the Lord says for as high as the heavens are higher than the earth my ways are higher than your ways my thoughts are higher than your thoughts so we've got to tap into what he's thinking what is he saying because we can get really bent out of shape we can really start thinking a certain way and it may not be anything like what God is thinking too many people live with their minds and emotions connected more to this earth realm and especially to the second heaven to the spiritual warfare realm than they actually do the third heaven where they're walking in the spirit of god and know his thoughts and his ways you know what god is god is light he's pure light there's no darkness He's love. He's pure love. There's a love that we don't understand right now. 
But he's also justice, pure justice. He doesn't take bribes. He doesn't compromise. He doesn't pervert justice. It's pure justice. He's also pure judgment, pure. But he's also anger and wrath. The book of Revelation. It's interesting because people keep talking about, well, America's going to come under judgment. That's true. But you have to understand, we're living in a dispensation right now where God's not really interested as much in that as he is as how many people can get saved. Oh, y'all hear what I'm saying? It's quiet tonight. But I'm going to tell you, God, God is not as interested in judging America as he is sending revival. He's wanting to pour out his spirit because he's wanting as many possible people to be saved as there can be. And he's wanting lives transformed. We're still in this dispensation of grace right now. But there will come a time when what we know is the dispensation of grace will come to an end. And this warm season of love and grace and mercy and God's spirit wooing people and drawing people and all that's happening um, and the patience, the incredible patience of God, all of that will be exchanged one day for what we read about in the book of Revelation where God gives full vent to his wrath. Do y'all want me to preach the truth? Do y'all want me to preach the word of God? God's going to give full vent to his wrath, and some people don't like that. But if you don't, then you, there's an aspect of the Lord that you have a problem with because that is him too. And there's going to be a full venting of God's wrath on the nations. People say, well, God's going to judge America for all the blood of the unborn. You better believe it. Every drop, every, he will, he's going to give full vent to his wrath one day on this nation. And when Jesus comes, people don't understand. Right now, they, people have a mental image of Jesus. He's this loving Savior. He's so merciful. Yes, he is. He's more loving than we think he is. He's more patient than we understand. That's true. But when he comes back, woe to the enemies that get in front of him. Because his garments are going to be stained with the blood that he literally slaughters the armies against Israel. People don't understand that. But he is also anger and wrath. But he is also mercy and loving kindness. There's a mercy about God that is unbelievable. People, somebody that's been a serial killer. In fact, there's the son of Sam. You guys probably are too young to remember, but he shot a lot of people in upstate New York back in the 70s. Cold-blooded murder was into Satanism. He became a true Christian in prison. Now, he's in there for the rest of his life, but Steve Hill was friends with him. They would correspond, and he's a real sincere Christian now. He's forgiven. We're talking about the mercy of God. God is so merciful. His loving kindness, his grace, his power. But we have to understand a holy God, he is holy, but he's, he's pure love, but he's also pure justice. He's so merciful and forgiving more than we realize, but he also is anger and wrath. He's both. That what you want is you want to be on the side of humility and repentance and be on his good side. <laughs> Amen. 
This is not being preached that much anymore, guys. It's not. We worship him because he is holy and awesome. So a lot of people really don't understand what worship is. So let me take just a moment here. Because I'm talking about the holiness of God. I'm talking about a holy place where his glory dwells. And a sanctuary where we worship him. So is it okay just for a moment that I explain worship? Worship is not just slow songs. Although I know that that's part of it, I do. And worship is not just singing. Worship really, if you study the word, and I've studied out this word and what it is, worship, believe it or not, has to do with a deep reverential attitude toward him and it even has to do with your posture as you bow your head as you lift your hands people kneel people get on their face this is very much worship in the bible it really is your is your physical posture but all of that has to be from the heart though because you know people can do things out of just religion and it's a show But God wants our hearts to be a, a heart of true worship. And so worship is where we get caught up in him and there's a reverence. But our, our posture toward him and our love toward him. That's true worship. But people, the reason why people can really worship with the depths of their being is because they understand how holy and how awesome he is. That's where worship comes from. A revelation, although our revelation of it will always be so minimal right now. When we see him in heaven, I believe it'll be a lot more. But right now, we get a glimpse of how holy and how awesome he is. And that's where worship comes from. So it's not just singing. But it's a heart issue of how awesome this holy God is that we know. And that he would care about us, that he would love us, that he would forgive us, that he would adopt us as his sons and daughters, that he would bestow us with his loving kindness. And this, this thankful, this reverence toward him, that's worship. And why is worship so important? Because in Psalm 95, 7-11, without worship, the Bible says, here's the danger. People's hearts will begin to get hardened. Did you know that? People stop hearing the voice of the Lord. People begin to provoke the Lord to anger. And they do not enter the appointed rest God has for them. Did y'all know that? Your river of life is a worshiping church. And a lot of you guys are real worshipers. I, I can tell but people that are not worshipers, read this scripture when you get home tonight. Circle it, go look it up. But without worship in your life, you're in danger of your heart beginning to get hardened. And therefore, not really hearing the Lord clearly, even provoking the Lord to anger, and finally not really entering that place of rest that he has. We worship God for his holiness. 
like Elijah. There was the wind, there was the noise, there was the fire, the rocks splitting, all the different things that we, you know, here we are in the praise. People are shouting, people are dancing, people are all excited. Every, you know, we're in the praise time. But then it gets into the stillness of the worship. And that's like Elijah that heard the still small voice. And he wrapped himself in his tallit and went out and spoke to the Lord. But it was that place of worship. See, worship will bring you into a place of intimacy with God. We have been stewarding God's presence for some time. Things have been a certain way. God's been preparing. He's been deeply consecrating us. And God has allowed there to be a sifting, but there's a remnant that has been willing to consecrate their lives, humble themselves. And God has been doing this for a period of time, but it's drawn very near that there's a door in the spiritual realm that's going to open. It's a door that the key of David will open. It's a door no man can shut, no devil can shut, no spiritual warfare can shut, no religion can shut. It's something that's going to be effectual. It's going to be effective. It's going to be powerful. And man, it is going to open up a harvest and a move of God, and it's coming. And when it comes, God wants us to be faithful stewards let me tell you, while I was doing this series, I've done 18 different sermons. There was one particular sermon where I talked about mixtures. And this is something that God's really laid on my heart because too many times there's a mixture. You know, I love the true prophetic. One of my favorite preachers to have, and I don't say this lightly, is uh, Brother Benny. And I love it, man. He, he's so sh just, I love that prophetic. But I, I love the real. I don't care for the fake. I don't. I'm just telling you. I don't like the mixture. It just, it's like a nails on a chalkboard. You know, you want the real. You love the real. But I remember as I was talking about the, the mixtures, that week when I was preparing the sermon, I was sitting in my office, and I was in, this chair and I had my laptop and I was typing it up and I was praying about it and I was looking over the notes and everything and the power of the Holy Spirit was so strong on me in there I didn't really realize it because in our home thank by the mercy and grace of God there's there's a presence of the Lord there but what happened was this I noticed as I was trying to type and things that my body was trembling was just kind of shaking under the power and I'm like trying to type and stuff, and I'm kind of chuckling, you know, because I'm like, oh. And, um, but I felt just this trembling of the power. And that night, I'm sharing this for a reason. That night, my wife, uh, the next morning, my wife said, man, last night you woke me up. She said, You're, you were just, it was like this shaking, this vibrating. I was sound asleep. She's like, I put my hand on you. And your body was just trembling under the power of God. She said the bed was even trembling. And I remember the next day, I forgot about this. I just kind of chuckled. I thought, well, God's touching me, man. I need help, right? You know, and uh, <laughs> I always need his help, amen. 
And the next day was, uh, well, in a few days we had church. So I don't remember if this was like a Wednesday, Thursday or something. So on Saturday, we have our prayer meeting from 430 to 530. And, you know, people come up here to help us pray. And I was back in that room back there and I was just, you know, laying back on the ground, just soaking in the presence of God, talking to him. And I felt that again. My body was just sort of trembling. And, um, and then, the, then all of it came back to my mind. I was like, wait a second, this has happened all week. And the Lord really put on my heart. He said, it's because of your sermon about mixtures. And I felt such an anointing to preach against mixtures. Because we're living in a time where there's a lot of mixture. And God wants something pure. And even Brianna didn't know a lot of this, I don't think. But that Friday night, they had youth. And I'd simply, i come and help them and pray with people and leave, you know. And she was saying that she got up here with the mic and was sharing. And she said her whole body was just shaking under the power that night. And she didn't realize that the same thing was going on with me. It had to do with mixtures. So God has been speaking to us in River of Life. He wants us to keep it pure. Don't let carnality, don't let ungodly worldliness, don't let things that are pagan and occult come in. Don't let counterfeits come in. Um, don't let the darkness creep in. Don't be okay with it. Don't get comfortable with it. God wants a pure river. He wants a pure flow. I mean, want that. I do. I want the real. I don't want a counterfeit. I don't want to be okay with mixture. I want something pure. And that's what's about to come. So with that said, I think you guys have a pretty good grasp on the power of water baptism. I'm sorry, on the communion table. And I've taught on the anointing with oil quite a bit. And I don't have time to talk much about this. But just a couple things about water immersion. Because we're going to have a, a time at the end of service. If people want to come and get water immersed, I encourage it. But there is such a power in water baptism. And I have seen over and over, we've had these a couple times a year, we have this time of prayer and fasting. And all of us will really seek God and let him deal with us, show us things in fasting and prayer. Let him show us things that we need to repent or whatever. Let him do a cleansing. And we really corporately pray, we fast, we consecrate our lives, and people give financially also. And in that, we come together, like tonight, this is a, a deep consecration service. A couple times a year, we'll really take communion together in a special way and really bring our lives under the blood. My wife and I will anoint everybody with oil, and we're going to pray that God really sanctify you unto him deeply. And it's always been real powerful. But in that, we'll have water immersion. And what I have experienced, because I believe this is because I understand the power of water baptism, we have had a glory. I mean, a presence of God in that water that is unbelievable. We've water baptized people that's come up and they were just, you know, like they were about to fall out. You know, we're holding them up in the water and but it is a powerful thing. And let me give you just a few scriptures. I don't have time to go deep with water baptism, but there is a lot more 
to water immersion and the communion table and all this than there than a lot of places teach on and so hebrews 10 let us draw near and i'm closing with this subject right here but i want you to focus on draw near how many people sincerely right now tonight sincerely want to draw nearer to god than what you've been and you really do you really want to know him you want to hear his voice you want to know his presence you want his fellowship you want to draw closer to him than where you've been i do well look at this let us draw near with a sincere heart in full assurance of faith having our hearts sprinkled what is the sprinkling it's the blood and then that's from an evil conscience and look at this and our bodies washed with pure water now this is the book of hebrews this is a new testament book but God is saying that there's something about the blood being sprinkled with the blood and there's something about the washing of the water that helps us to draw near. I do not believe that people have to be water immersed to go to heaven. I really don't. I'm a firm believer that the thief on the cross just put his faith in Jesus alone and that was it. I believe that's all you need to go to heaven is faith in Christ alone. I believe that. But you have to understand there's a difference between just being born again and being now deeply consecrated and really drawing deep into the things of God. I want that. So there's a deep cleansing that happens at water immersion, a deep consecration. You know, there's a scripture. Let me say two things here. You never create doctrine on just one scripture. Remember that. Don't ever create doctrine on just one scripture. If you're going to have an established doctrine, there's going to be multiple scriptures, <clears throat> and there's going to be a pattern all through the Bible. You're going to be able to see a pattern in the Old Testament of a type and shadow of that doctrine. You're going to be able to find it somewhere in the Torah. You will. That's doctrine, okay? So I say that because there's groups of people that teach, well, the Bible, Jesus said in Mark that repent and be baptized and you'll be saved. And so they take that as saying, well, you have to be baptized to go to heaven. That's not true. But here's the interesting thing about that scripture. The word saved is the word sozo. And the word sozo in the Greek is the same word in hebrew where we get yeshua from it means salvation but it is everything jesus paid for the word sozo means this save heal deliver protect preserve prosper make to do well it's everything jesus paid for on the cross so in other words you repent and you're baptized i believe water immersion and also the communion table I believe these things help us to start really coming into the fullness of everything that's available. Does that make sense? And I remember that um, somebody, I can't remember, I think it was Dick Rubin was saying that, he was saying that people, he has found that when people have been water baptized, it's much easier for them to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. It's like it opens them up. Also, John Kilpatrick said in Brownsville, there were so many people getting saved, 
But he said there was a marked difference between the ones that were water baptized apart from the ones that weren't. He said the ones that got baptized, he said there was something happened to them that seemed to protect them and seal them and give them stability, which I'm going to get into. So the next thing you see with water immersion, we've seen several healings. And I mean healings like mental and emotional, but also physical. It's really interesting. And so you remember naming the leper? Uh, you basically have to understand how common water immersion is among um, Israel, ancient Israel, even to this day. But I mean, water immersion was so common. And you had this guy that was a, a Syrian that was coming in, Naaman, who didn't know the things of God. And Elisha told him, we'll go water immerse or mikveh, okay, immerse in water seven times in the Jordan. And he got mad. He's thinking, well, that's stupid. I mean, I can take a bath at home. Why don't you come out here and pray for me? And what he didn't understand was that Elisha was, was trying to get him to go through that cleansing. See? But anyway, Naaman immersed in water and came up totally, completely healed. And it was a major thing. Also, remember this, in, in John 5, verse 4, the pool of Bethesda. The angel of the Lord would come down and, and move the waters. And whoever got into the water was healed. Y'all remember that? And we also, there's, there's many different examples I could give, but there's something about a deep consecration. There's something about healing. I remember Basil. You remember him a few years back, Rodney Harrow Brown's brother came and spoke for us. And he was saying that there was a man that had had heart attacks and his heart was so weak that his legs had started to turn like a real dark, like a black color because blood couldn't, uh, couldn't circulate to him. And he was just really weak and sickly. And they had had a baptism service. And everybody had set up a big old tub in the church and people were coming through and, and Basil would pray for him and the power of God would hit him and they'd you know, water immerse him. This guy got water immersed and he went and sat down and he felt something happening to him. And before too long, his legs started changing color. And before the service was over, he was healed. His heart got strengthened. We've also seen deliverances. I've actually seen several people delivered of things when we water immersed them. It just, it separated them. And this is my favorite scripture about water immersion. You all ready? 1 Corinthians 10.1. The Apostle Paul said, I do not want you to be unaware, brethren. In the King James that says, I do not want you ignorant, brethren. And some women read that wrong. Okay. Anyway, that's a bad joke. But I do not want you to be <laughs> unaware, brethren, that our fathers were all under the cloud and passed through the sea. And so here the cloud is the glory of God it's a baptism in the Holy Spirit it's a picture and type of being baptized in the Holy Spirit and the sea is a picture and type of water baptism so let me read that again I do not want you to be unaware brethren that our fathers were under the cloud and passed through the sea so they're baptized in the Holy Spirit and baptized in water and look at this all of them were baptized into Moses in the cloud and the sea Moses is a picture and type of Christ. 
They all ate the same spiritual food and drank the spiritual drink. The spiritual food is a picture and type of the communion table today. The spiritual drink is a picture and type of the Holy Spirit filling us today. For they were drinking from the spiritual rock which followed them. The rock was Christ. Now, I want you to notice that the same water that baptized Israel in Moses was the same water that closed behind them. Remember that? And it destroyed all those enemies that were trying to chase them. And it separated them from their past. They had just come out of Egypt. But God was doing something in baptizing them through the Red Sea that was going to destroy all their pursuing enemies. How many people get saved and they've got all this baggage, all this stuff that's trying to follow them into their Christian walk? and be tormenting and oppressive and it's like a dark shadow it's like something's trying to reach out and pull them back from where what they came out of but there's the power in water baptism to destroy those enemies and to help cleanse and separate you from your past i'm telling you it's real because i've i've experienced it myself and i've seen many others experience it and finally there's a death and resurrection romans 6 4 therefore we have been buried with him through baptism into death so that as christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the father we might too walk in a newness of life and i'm here to tell you that there is something about water baptism that helps people to die to what was and to start coming into a new season a new thing and every time we have these twice a year we have this time of fasting and prayer and and people come and get water immersed it feels to me every time like we're just getting washed and separated from what was and we're just coming into something fresh and new from the lord just a new thing that god's doing and every time that we've had these seasons of prayer and fasting as a church and really consecrating our lives every time god has taken us deeper and it's like his presence increases in our midst, which has even been going on already. I've been sensing such a glory come in over the last week or two. God is going to begin to take us deeper in his presence. So I go back to this. Let us draw near. For us to go deeper, we've got to be willing to get consecrated. This is how I wanted, I wanted to, well, what I felt the Lord wanted to close out the Mikdash series was about this, the holiness of God. But God is wanting us to know him and know his ways. I talked about cultures. People come from all kinds of backgrounds, all kinds of families, all kinds of religious backgrounds. But we've got to be willing to forsake everything and learn what pleases the Lord. What are his ways? What is his culture? Well, Lord, I thank you for tonight as we're about to anoint people. And Lord, I'm asking you tonight that as, as we anoint and set people apart, just as Moses anointed that tabernacle and the glory of God filled that tabernacle. And in times past, when Solomon, they, they, they shed all that blood to dedicate that temple and the blood was there. The glory of God became so thick, the priest could not stand to minister. I'm asking you, Lord, that there will be such 
an anointing that's imparted into people and such a saturation of your glory, a sanctifying work of your spirit to really cleanse people and seal them off in divine health and wholeness and purity. That the Holy Spirit just cleanse anything unclean out. That there's going to be healing. There's going to be freedom from things not of you. People are going to be protected from evil. The sealing of the Holy Spirit. But Lord, let there be an awesome, the word impartation. Let there be an awesome imparting the, uh, the Holy Spirit in such a way tonight that people will go to a place of great strength that that anointing in them will remain and take them to a place of deep cleansing and, and protection. But just, I mean, a real deep consecration and health and life and freedom. Let it come, Lord. We thank you for it tonight. In the mighty name of Jesus, we bless you. Man, I feel just in expectation. I just feel like just we need to get ready to pray for people. So even right now, Lord, let the heavens open. We ask you, Holy Spirit, come. Come in this place. Move in power. Lord, let there be such a breakthrough. We thank you for it now in Jesus' name.